Radio Gag, the Gays Against Guns show. Prepare to gag, yeah. Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to Radio Gag, the weekly Gays Against Guns show. Radio Gag is your weekly update on how to end the horror that is the American gun violence epidemic. I'm Sarah Germain Lilly. As we broadcast today, gun violence prevention activists and organizations are more focused and connected than ever before on pressing our elected officials to create policies and laws that will reduce gun deaths and injuries and make Americans safer. Gag member and Radio Gag producer Ty Kersley has been meeting regularly with GVP activists around the country on a weekly call that connects groups for strategies, support, and action. Today's show is a collaboration with Everytown USA, and a special thanks to the Everytown LGBTQ team, Kenny Nooner, Joshua Miller, Emily Miller, and Sarah Grossman and Ale Ortiz for making this show happen. Today's episode, Gun Violence is a Queer Issue, includes an in memoriam for Joe Acker, a transgender woman who was a hero in the recent Boise, Idaho shooting that killed two. But first, the news. We at Gays Against Guns want to say RIP ghost guns in New York State. That's right. Our New York State governor, Kathy Hochul, has signed into law three bills that will ban the possession and sale of ghost guns in New York State. Ghost guns are manufactured in basic pieces without a serial number and are marketed everywhere you can buy guns, including the internet, without a background check or age restriction. Once the kit is purchased, it can be assembled using basic tools by watching a YouTube video. As we've shared in previous shows, these untraceable weapons are the weapon of choice for criminals, terrorists, and anyone seeking to elude law enforcement. These untraceable guns have become a major impediment to solving gun crimes. Thank you to Governor Kathy Hochul for banning the sale and manufacture of ghost guns in New York State. Rest in peace, ghost guns. And now our in memoriam. Thank you to Michael Sylvan Robinson for contributing our in memoriam this week. And this is a time during our show when we honor those who have lost their lives to gun violence to inspire us to continue this work. In remembrance of Joe Acker, 26 years old, 10-26-21, Boise, Idaho. Joe Acker, a transgender woman working as a security guard, was killed when a gunman opened fire at the Boise Town Square Mall in Idaho, and her family members say she took actions that undoubtedly saved many lives there. According to police reports, Joe Acker confronted the shooter on the first floor of the mall near a department store. Acker's partner and siblings say she died a hero. She ran toward the shooter, hoping to stop him. She was confronting the suspect. She was helping people be safe and get out of the way, and they shot at her. Ray Dawn, Acker's partner of nearly three years, told reporters, I was told she was helping people and saving them. I know she would have wanted to make everyone else safe. She would have been the first one to go down to confront somebody. 
Confronting someone whom she knew to be a threat to others or was a bully was entirely within her character even prior to enlisting, Tiffany Luna, Acker's oldest sister, shared. Acker, who had lived for a time in Colorado Springs, served in the U.S. Army as a forward artillery observer and a paratrooper. We have had people messaging us to tell us how she helped them, how she saved them, and we are so thankful for the love and support we are receiving, Luna added. Kevin Goncalves, who served in the Army with Acker in Italy and Latvia, also mentioned her enthusiasm for video games, as well as her willingness to help others, such as new recruits. He wasn't surprised she was a hero, he told reporters. Acker always stuck up for people when others were being disrespected, Goncalves said. Always stood up for the right thing, even if it brought trouble. That was always something I admired about Joe. Acker had a three-year-old daughter, Everay. Acker's family shared their sadness on social media. I can't even put into words how completely devastated and shattered I am, Acker's sister, Shauna Lanigan, wrote on Facebook. Joe, you were always kind and loving. You always had such an enormous heart of gold. I always felt like your keeper. I always wanted to protect you and you always wanted to protect others. You were and are and always will be a hero. I love you to the ends of this earth and beyond. I will miss you until we meet again. Acker was one of the victims of a tragic shooting at the Boise Town Square Mall, which also resulted in five people injured. The other individual who was fatally injured in the shooting was 49-year-old Robert Padilla Arguelles. Now for our special interview by Ty Kearsley and Sarah Grossman from Everytown Against Gun Violence. Hi, Sarah, and welcome to Radio Gag. Hey, Ty, thank you so much for having me. So you are the founder of the Drew Project, can you uh, tell our listeners a little bit more about how that uh, started and how you became a gun violence prevention activist, really? Sure, absolutely. Um, so back in June 2016, I unfortunately uh, lost my one of my best friends, Drew Leinenen, at the Pulse nightclub shooting. Um, I had lost people before. I had been familiar with gun violence before, but not so much that it was literally sitting in my backyard. Um, because I am two hours behind Florida, of course, I woke up a little bit late the next morning to the news, but I woke up with all kinds of phone calls, missed calls, missed messages, uh, the whole nine um, saying, have you heard from Drew? I'm so sorry about Pulse. When was the last time you were in Orlando? Things of that nature. And like, I was like looking at my phone with one eye open, wondering what are all of these messages about? Because uh, I had heard nothing. Um, and so I went on Facebook and I saw just story after story, after post, after post of friends from college um, and uh, other, you know, queer people I know in Orlando and Florida. Um, just talking about the shooting um, and how nobody had heard from Drew. He had a partner. Uh, they were both there, correct? 
Correct. Yes. He was there with his partner, Juan, um, as well as my friend, Brandon Wolf, who uh, fortunately did survive the shooting and um, co-founded, was one of the co-founders of the Drew Project with me. Drew was one of, if not the very last person who was announced dead. Um, and so it was a it was a pretty draining and upsetting 24 hours waiting for that news. So go ahead and tell me more about um, starting starting the Drew Project. Sure. Um, so on my way back to the airport from Drew's funeral in Florida, I um, purchased the DrewProject.org uh, because um, Drew's screen name, his live journal, his MySpace, his Instagram, his Twitter, it was all the Drew Project. He had essentially branded himself um, and everybody knew him as the Drew Project. Um, when he got to college, and I met him the very first week of college, um, he had very intentionally changed his name. He didn't want to go by Christopher anymore because um, that was, you know, his old self in high school. Um, and so he started going by Drew, which was his middle name, uh, Andrew. Um, and I didn't know what I was going to do with that URL, if anything. I just wanted to make sure that somebody who was close to him kind of was guarding his online presence, so to say, I, I suppose. Right. Um, and, you know, the meanwhile, my background is in um, nonprofit communication. So I was thinking, well, maybe we can have a scholarship at the University of Central Florida or something. Maybe people would be able to chip in for something like that. Um, but I was also very grief stricken, obviously. Um, I had at the time been doing a lot of freelance work and had nullified all of my contracts when I got back from his funeral because I just couldn't bring myself to work. Um, I would have panic attacks when going into public spaces and closed public spaces um, and just was completely beside myself. I had spent so much time in Pulse nightclub uh, when I was in college and most of the time it was with Drew. And so to have the have to live with the visual kind of drilled into my brain about where he was standing, what it probably looked like in that club, um, it just it was really really hard to get past. About three weeks later, I got a phone call from another person in Orlando, one of his friends who he had made post college, who I didn't meet. Her name was Brittany. Um, I remember seeing her at the funeral. But she said, we already have the 501c3. We are going to launch this organization called the Drew Project. Um, and I looked up the URL and it led back to you. Can we have it? <laughs> and I was like, oh, my gosh, this is so serendipitous. And I, out of the people who um, were organizing that in Orlando, I had only known one, Sean, who is our board president. Um, but I said, you know, of course, with the caveat, let me please help because my background is in nonprofit communications. Let me see how I can help, you know, um, grow this and see if we can make a name for ourselves. And so, you know, there was a lot of planning, a lot of trying to figure out, you know, how to honor him. And um, the, the thing that we came to was Gay Straight Alliances. Uh, because Drew in high school in Seminole, Florida in 2002, started the very first Gay Straight Alliance. And, um, you know, for that area and that time, it was a pretty big move. I tried starting a Gay Straight Alliance at my high school about 30 minutes away and was shut down. 
uh, I wasn't allowed to. The headmaster said, well, we don't have any gay kids here. So why would we need something like that? And I wasn't about to out myself at, you know, 16, 17. Um, but he was successful and he ended up winning the Anne Frank Humanitarian Award for starting the GSA and just was such a light because he was always authentic. He was always himself. Um, yeah, I'm gay. And um, which was beautiful. It's a beautiful thing that not everybody has the privilege of, um, of being yourself so early. And um, it was just something that we all from any walk of life admired in him. Well, it's and, very inspirational too, to yeah. have someone like that, not only in your life, but then to be successful at, in doing it. Um, what, what, what have been some of your um, big accomplishments then? What, what are, what are you, um, what is the Drew Project now? So in five and a half years, um, we have created three different programs. Um, the first being our scholarship program, uh, where we give out scholarships to LGBTQ students uh, to help with the barrier between, um, you know, uh, finance and their education so they can keep doing their advocacy work uh, throughout college and beyond. Those are called the Spirit of Drew Scholarships. Um, and to date, we've given out $100,000, which incredible. just blows my mind. Um, I just, I never... I never fathomed that, that it would, yeah. Um, and we also have uh, one of the most comprehensive GSA Gay Straight Alliance guides in the world um, that we put a lot of time and effort into getting published. And it, it, I can't say curriculum because it's not an official curriculum, but a lot of school districts and schools and clubs have adopted it. Um, in fact, it's been downloaded now in 14 different countries in 47 of the states, which is just incredible. Um, and we also give out GSA Gay Straight Alliance guides, um, grants to oh. uh, schools who write in. We are not really wanting to gatekeep when it comes to these funds. We just want them to succeed. So um, they've used the money to put on a queer prom, to buy t-shirts for their club, to take a field trip to Pulse things of that nature. And, you know, it's just about ensuring that uh, these youth thrive in honor of our friend who was making sure they were doing that while he was still here. We have the um, Asian American Pacific Island community is now being targeted by the NRA to buy guns because people are beating up Asian people in the street due to um, COVID-19. Mm -hmm. So we've seen a shift in that. We've also, you know, had people say, oh, well, gay people should have guns because, you know, you're targeted. So how have you been able to work around that uh, nonsense? But how have you been able to work around <laughs> yes, it is nonsense. that, that, that uh, soundbite, you know, like, oh, well, if you're, if I had a gun, I could have stopped it. Or if I, you know. I mean, gosh, there are so many times where um, the opposition wants to parade around a good guy with a gun trope, um, where we know that, that is so not the case. Um, so I, I have this question, like men, think of 10 men that you have in your life. Do you trust all of them to be armed? No, no one should. No, but... <laughs> no. yeah, no, no, definitely not. No, I mean, just um, take a moment. Yeah. And just think of everyone that you, you know, and their mental state, especially over the last you know two years. Oh gosh. Yeah. I mean, we right now, is the gun violence has only gotten worse over the last year and a half. Um, people were thinking it was going to get better because we were all inside. 
but they didn't take into consideration um, suicidal ideation. They didn't take into consideration domestic violence. Um, and it has really only gotten worse. But as far as your question um, regarding how do you have this conversation with the other side, I have absolutely no idea. I wish I did. I, I think that we're in such a precarious time when it comes to opinion versus fact and such a precarious time when it comes to being isolated in an echo chamber that, um, I mean, Facebook is in trial right now over the fact that these echo chambers have been created with intent to make people more upset, to keep people engaged in the upset. And that is only going to spin people deeper and deeper into their ideals because when you have conflict over the controversy of op your opinion, which you claim to be fact, um, people dig their heels in and they want, they want to stay, stay steadfast in their opinion. Um, and so I think that the discussion has gotten more and more difficult to have because of this. I just would like to reiterate, I think, the overarching sentiment that uh, guns do not cause homophobia or transphobia, but they make it so much worse. And it's to the point where it's a public health crisis. Um, and if we don't find some real solutions soon, our community is going to keep suffering. And all I can say is join a group, um, you know, text join to 64433 if you want to join Moms Demand Action. Um, sign up, you know, with Gays Against Guns. Take a look at what the Drew Project is doing because there are just so many organizations out there who are doing the good work of A, keeping these names alive. B, showing that the, the major void that they have left behind and C, pushing forward their legacies. Um, it is the least we can do. And so I, I just would like to leave everybody with that. All right. Thank you so much for, uh, for joining us. You're listening to Radio Gag, the Gays Against Gun Show, on listener-sponsored commercial-free radio, WBAI 99.5. We are here every Tuesday at 2.30, bringing you the latest in gun violence prevention movement news. This week, I spoke to Ale Ortiz, queer youth activist from every town. Ale identifies as queer, and their pronouns are they and their. Good afternoon, everybody. Listeners, we are so happy to be here today with Ale. They are a senior in high school and the producer and founder of a podcast, Three Homegirls, No Gun. How did you learn about the impact of gun violence on LGBTQ people? Being myself, I identify as queer and gender fluid. When I was in sixth grade and I was in the closet, the Pulse nightclub shooting happened. And I remember vividly how I thought to myself, do I even want to come out anymore? Because I had already made plans like, oh, okay, I'm going to come out. Let's see how this goes. And then, but as soon as I heard about the Pulse nightclub shooting 
and how it was directly targeting people of the LGBTQI plus community and how so many people had died there, I I kind of took a step back and it made me reevaluate if I even wanted to continue with the plan I had made to come out or if I or if I just want to stay in the closet and then see how things went from there. Gays Against Guns was founded after the Pulse nightclub shooting. So that was when you were in sixth grade and you heard about that and it just made you question, wow. It yeah. made me really uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah, I know, like a crazy person, like how could they, all these questions come up, like how could that possibly happen, why? Have you ever been personally affected? I mean, that is certainly a personal effect and an effect of um, an, an effect on all uh, LGBTQ youth. Are there other ways that you've been personally affected? Yeah, definitely. So I kind of have a unique experience with gun violence. So I grew up in Glendora, California, which is a little suburban, predominantly Caucasian community, right? And then going into seventh grade, we decide we're going to move to Linwood. In Linwood, Los Angeles is right on the border of Compton and Watts. So we went from one side of the spectrum to a whole different community. And I remember my first night being there where our house is right near the train tracks and we heard gunshots. I had never heard gunshots before in my life. And knowing that they were so close to my house, it was like, it was that night I couldn't sleep. And at first I thought they were fireworks because, you know, really it, it is a very similar sound. But after living there for so long, now I I can, it's pretty easy to distinguish for me to tell the difference between a firework and a gunshot. Quite frankly, a senior in high school and a seventh grader at that time should not be able to tell that difference or should have that experience at all. Definitely. How do you feel about the situation now in terms of gun violence in America? Do you feel like there's been improvements? Are you more worried than when you started out as an activist? So definitely there has been progress made in gun violence, gun violence prevention legislation, but quite frankly, it's not enough. There needs to be more. 2020, after quarantine, after COVID, it was the worst year on record in terms of gun violence. In 2021, we've seen so many statistics and already we've had, we've had so many school shootings and just you no know, shootings in general. 2021 is said to be even worse than 2020 in my mind. That's, that's not okay. Like how, I don't understand how people in Congress or just in the federal government in general who, you know, vote on these laws, how they're so dead set on having their quote unquote second amendment right that they're willing to subject people to mass shootings when, you know, it sounds like an easy fix and I know it's not, but the solution is right there. Like it's tangible, it's there, we see it, but nobody wants to get there nobody's willing to compromise and it's, it's annoying and it's so frustrating. I feel your frustration very much. I am still in disbelief that we can't make gun trafficking between states illegal, mm -hmm. that we can't have background checks, that we don't want to prevent domestic abusers and people with violent pasts from owning a gun. Um, I, my whole worldview is that laws are supposed to make us feel safer. 
Yes. They're supposed to actually make us safer, not just even feel safer, but they should have a result. For example, seat belts. You know, you can make all these parallels with the automobile industry. They have so many restrictions. It seems like a car is more dangerous than a gun. And that's not true. Thankfully, I live in California. You know, we have, I think out of the country, we have the most progressive gun violence prevention legislation. But again, as you said, there's that trafficking between states. Someone can easily just go to Arizona or Nevada where it's easier to get a gun and then bring it back to California. And there's like a giant loophole in that. And besides the gun trafficking, there's also ghost guns. Like there's so many different ways to get a gun. It's insane. And it's so easy at, at that fact too. Yeah. Yeah. And the fact that we have military grade weapons being sold to civilians, that is insane. That should not even be a thing. Like, why, why do you need that? I'm so with you there. And the voices of youth are really powerful in terms of creating change. So now I'm wondering, why did you choose podcasting? And what effect do you think us podcasters can have on the problem? So I actually did the Students in Action Summer Leadership Academy, which is when they bring a bunch of people from Los Angeles and they say, like, look, gun violence is an issue. We all know this. How do we combat it? And at the end of the at the end of that program, we had a, an outreach program contest. And my proposal was the podcast. When I first thought of a proposal, I was like, "Oh, well, let's do you know like an art gallery and let's I bring in a bunch of art from people depicting gun violence." But then when I thought about it, I was like, "This is only going to be available to people in LA. What about people in DC or people in New York?" And when I thought about nationally, even globally, what I can make the most impact in, it's a podcast. It's easy. It's accessible. You open your Spotify. It's right there. Someone from New York can open it. Someone from Seattle can listen to it. You can take it on the on the go. That was really my envision with the podcast is how many people can I reach and how can I maximize, you know, how many people that is. So that was kind of my thought process with the podcast but I think what kind of has made our podcast successful and you know really honed and what we really honed in on is that we're a podcast for the youth gun violence is such a broad topic but how it impacts the youth it's it's on so many different levels and all of them need to be addressed and you know thankfully our generation is kind of really politically involved and you know they want to see civic action being taken they want to see we want to see like federal government making these changes so i think that in itself is you know like oh like look this there's, there's this really cool podcast that talks about gun violence and it's three high school um three high school like students like they're like us and i think that is really where we get our conversations going and where you know we have that kind of success Great. So my students are going to be listening to this show for sure. Mm -hmm. And what would you say to LBGTQIA plus youth who are getting ready to come out and be part of this world? To any, any LGBTQI plus people who are listening, it's such an amazing thing to come out. Being welcomed into community that, you know, not only welcomes, but accepts and supports you. That's a, it's such an amazing feeling. And thankfully, I have a really supportive mom and a, and a supportive family. But even like besides family, friends are such an amazing 
support group and having them there, it's one of the best things in the world. And if I'm knowing now what my experience is being out of the closet for you know so long, I'm I'm glad that when it came after the Pulse nightclub shooting that I didn't choose to um, choose to stay in the closet. And where can we find your podcast? You can find Three Home Girls No Gun on Apple, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. We're actually on our second season, so stay tuned for more episodes. So thanks a lot for speaking with us today. Thank you. Yeah, it was a pleasure. To find out more about working with us, please go to gazeagainstguns.net or follow us at Gaze Against Guns New York on Facebook and Instagram or Gag No Guns on Twitter. Also, be sure to check out our website to learn more about our meetings and actions. Come to a meeting. Here in New York, we meet one Thursday a month, live, in person, and virtually at 7 p.m. in Manhattan at the LGBT Center on 13th Street. Our next meeting is November 18th, where we will be planning all kinds of great action and protests. So please join us. Everybody is welcome at any and all gag events. And another great way to get involved is by becoming a BAI buddy. A BAI buddy is someone who keeps our unique volunteer-run radio show going by giving a small donation every month. The so-called gun rights movement is funded up to 10 times the funding of the gun violence prevention movement. Your monthly contribution of five to $25 keeps Radio Gag on air here at WBAI to keep the issue of gun violence in front of the public and our elected officials. Just go to WBAI.org or call 212-209-2950. That's WBAI.org or call 212-209-2950 and become a BAI buddy in the name of Radio Gag. Thank you. Thanks for listening. And we are back next Tuesday and every Tuesday at 2.30 p.m. And don't forget, you can listen to our previous shows anytime on the WBAI website or on any major podcast platform. We leave you with our fabulous political singing quartet, Sing Out Louise. Take me out at the ball game. Shoot me down at the bar. Come to the movies and watch us fall. Come to church, come to school, kill us all. Go on block, block, block any gun laws. Sell your soul, have no shame. Yes, it's one, two, three strikes we lose at the old gun game.